0: Welcome to the Delve Into Money podcast. I am your host, Curtis Haney. This is the personal finance podcast where we attempt to demystify money by reviewing books and applying what we learn to our own financial journeys. Thank you for listening to episode 30 of the Delve Into Money podcast. Just real quickly, it's just a little bit crazy to me to think that we are this far in on the journey. So I want to thank you for being a part of this so far. Today, we're going to talk about how to focus on what truly matters and how to better optimize your commitments. Jordan Rainer says in the book, Redeeming Your Time, which is the book we're going to be looking at, he says, we must clarify what we're saying yes to so we can say no to non-essential things along the way. If we don't clarify our essentials, we end up doing whatever comes to our attention in the moment. In many cases, this means we do low-value tasks that pop up in our day and put off the truly important. We let the noise and hum of the day around us distract us from the things we really value. The reality is if we don't spend time on things we value, we need to evaluate how much do you truly value them. To get better at prioritization and setting goals, we need to start much higher than goals. So let's back up for a minute. And we're going to start talking about values. Your values are the things that stay constant and consistent throughout your life. Values are the principles that give our lives meaning and allow us to persevere through adversity. Sure, your values may rearrange As different things become important. But they're the things that formed you as you grew up and make you who you are as an adult. As we've gone through different phases in our life, our values have rearranged. But if you look at our top 10 values, they're very, very consistent. You've probably learned many of your values from your parents, your teachers, your religious leaders, and just general society around you. If you don't live your values, it doesn't mean your values changed. It just means that you aren't or weren't living your values. Now, don't take this too harshly because at different times, we all don't live up to what we know our values are. Different values and different things will take priority or importance throughout our life. So there will be times that you aren't living a value as clearly. So that leads to the question, how do we identify our values? You can do a quick Google search and you can find a lot of different ways to do this. Uh, we have used a 52 card deck in our case, and we laid them on the table and individually picked the top 10. Once we have the top 10, we then narrow it to a top five. We then record the top 10 and top five, and then we go through an exercise together where we look and we talk about each of those top five for each of us. This comparison helps us to understand what the other person is motivated by and how we can align those things as a couple and as a family. Each time we've done this, we have had uh, four of our top five be the same, but we've had different bottom five. That's okay and that's expected. But that alignment in those top five tells me that we've had a lot of conversations and we have aligned ourselves in our values. I'm sure my values today are different than they were before I was married. But again, that goes back to what we talked about a second ago. Different phases of life will make different ones rise to the top. But when you see that your top five has changed, It's important that you identify why you think those have changed. And when you see misalignment between you and your spouse, it's important that you talk about that misalignment and identify the reason for those differences. Another version of identifying your values is you can go to websites that have lists or you can do assessments. And you could take a sheet of paper and circle your top 10 values. You could even just handwrite them out. I like the cards because it's physically interactive, but you can do it a lot of different ways. I'll link to two different resources. One is a card deck that's on sale on Amazon, and another one is an online assessment that you can uh, walk through and help you identify some of your personal values. I have three questions that I think are helpful as you go about trying to identify what your values are. So if you need to listen to the question, maybe pause it if you're doing this exercise as you go along. Here are the three questions. The first one Identify the times in your life that you were most happiest. What were you doing and who were you with? Reflect on this and think what are the commonalities between those experiences? The second question Identify the times in your life when you are most proud. Why were you proud in these situations? And again, who were you with? Take some time, look and compare. The commonalities between those experiences. Then the third question, identify the times when you were most fulfilled and satisfied. What need or desire was fulfilled? How and why did the experience give your life meaning? This is probably the deepest and the one that you're going to need to think most about. But I would encourage you to take some time to ask yourself these three questions and. Really try and narrow down what your personal values are. Once you've identified your values, you want to identify your personal vision or calling. A personal vision statement is a statement that describes your values, your strengths, and your goals. Research has shown that a personal vision statement can help people pass from a cycle of stress to one of more balance. Identifying what your true vision is by actually writing it down can remove a level of stress and uncertainty that's there when you don't otherwise do that. It helps create a filter for you as you go through life and look at different decision points and different goals. And it allows you to filter them through that vision statement. When you create a personal vision, it becomes easier to make decisions. It provides you with a sense of direction, it helps you determine your long-term and short-term goals, and it will provide you with the motivation that you need during tough times. But it also helps you create a balanced life because if you know what's important, it's going to allow you to focus in on more of those important things and Focus in on each of your values and create more balance in leading towards those values. When facing hardship, this personal vision should be a reminder that most things aren't as important as they feel in the moment. If it has no effect on your vision for down the road, then what is the reason for stressing today? I will link uh, a great resource at a website called BetterUp that will help you write a personal vision statement. So just look in the show notes for that. Now I want to go a step further and I want to talk about purpose and calling. When we talk vision, it's still a slightly lower level than purpose or calling. You start with values, but immediately after that comes purpose or calling. I didn't talk about those in this context because they're concepts that are, extremely hard to break down. When we talk about purpose, or we talk about calling, those are two words that are extremely loaded. I think in reality, we've got this concept all wrong. You see, your purpose or calling does exist, but all too often, it's thought of as this one grand idea that you have for your whole life. So we're here to search for it, to find it, really dig in. And and if we don't know what that is, we think of ourselves as a failure. It creates a lot of self-doubt and the result is in us not living for the now. The result is us living in search of this and not being able to enjoy our present state. Jordan Rainer talks about this in his framework of mission and calling. He says, our mission in life is discovered, but our callings are chosen. Your mission is the goal that you're striving toward, but your calling is much different. You see, your values determine your purpose or calling. While your values are constant, your purpose or calling doesn't have to be. In a book called The Call by Oz Guinness, He talks about primary and secondary callings. It was the first time I'd seen this idea laid out, but it completely changed my perspective. You see, we don't just have one purpose or calling, we have many. Coming from a Christian perspective, our primary calling is to know Christ and to make him known. Even if we're lacking another calling, we have this ultimate and ultimately exciting call on our lives. Even if we're lacking elsewhere, we have a worthy, an impactful thing to strive towards. Our secondary callings will come and go and that's okay. That's expected. That's part of the process. That also means that you will have periods of time when you don't have a secondary calling. There will be times of searching. This is helpful to understand for a few reasons. One, when you know that searching is part of the plan. It takes off the pressure to have an answer. And then, second, it helps you release when you're feeling like it's time for a new season. A lot of times we wrap up our identity in our purpose or calling, and then it makes it hard for us to let go of that as it fades away. But when we realize that there's going to be seasons and there's going to be multiple callings or multiple purposes on our life, it helps us. Release the old calling or purpose when we see that a new season is coming. So it's going to help us move on and find that next best thing. Because there's two reasons, in my opinion, that people become ultimately unhappy it's because they feel a lack of direction, but then it's also because they get tired of the work they're doing. And I think a lot of times we struggle to release and let go. We'll talk about saying no in the next episode, in the last one where we talk about redeeming our time. So we're not going to sit on that right now. We're going to dig into that a little bit more next time. So I hope that helps understand a little bit why I'm not inserting it as part of this framework. I think it's something that's super, super important, but we're not going to dig into it at this time. We probably will at some point in the future, but I just don't want you to get caught up on identifying a single purpose. It might not be revealed yet and it might never be revealed. But that shouldn't stop you from pursuing things that bring value and have a vision for your future. So a vision for the future is going to be important, even without this feeling or some purpose or call that you feel on your heart. The next step that I want to talk about is we want to identify a long-term goal in each area of our lives that aligns with our vision and values. So I break my life down into seven different life domains. The first one is self-development. Second one is health. Third one is work. Fourth one is hobbies and recreation. Fifth one is spiritual. Sixth is community. Seventh is family. There's a lot of different frameworks that people use for this. And this is just my particular one. There's, there's frameworks that have more life domains or areas and there's ones that have less. I've seen them as low as four. And I think it was like health, wealth, life, and family or something along that line. So you can limit these uh, or expand these as you want. But once you've identified your areas of life domains, the places that you want to strive for and track progress in, You want to create one big goal for each of these areas that tie back to your vision. Jordan Rainer gave five reasons that he thinks that you should create and set more epic goals. The first one is that God has the power to do immeasurably more than we can imagine. The second one is that big goals are easier to achieve than small goals. As you move up in the difficulty of goals, there's actually less competition than there are with the small goals. So you get rid of some of the flack, you get rid of some of the, the, the crowd, and you're able to be the only one shooting for that big goal. The third reason is that big goals make it easier for you to say no to other things because you've got this big goal out there. You say no, I can't get distracted. I can't do things that distract me from my big goal. The fourth one is big goals, recruit others to help your cause. There's nothing that's going to help you more in getting a goal done than bringing people along with you. A quote from the book uh, that Jordan Rainer uh, quoted Brett Hagler and he said, "Bold ideas attract bold people." So if you set big goals, you can get other people excited about those goals as well. And they can help you along the way And the fifth reason is frankly, for me, probably the most important reason. And it's, you're unlikely to fail entirely. Here's the thing with small goals, as you set small goals, the biggest hurdle that you have in any goal is getting started. So when you set small goals, There's not much motivation to get started because you can start at any time, right? There's no timeline or deadline on you getting started. You think, I've got a full year to get this done. And it's a small goal, so it's not going to take you the full year to get done. It's not going to take you that time to get done. But when you set big goals, there's two things that work for you. The first one is that you're motivated to start. You're fired up. This should be a goal that you really want to get done. So it gets that ball rolling to where you finally start but then also these goals that we're talking about these are big goals these are not small goals so when we're talking about big goals they're goals that might even take more than a year to accomplish i would actually say that the goals that you want to set are goals that would take five or more years to accomplish and each year you're just knocking out a shorter version of that goal you're figuring out what your five stopping points along the way And you just year one, try and accomplish that. So not only do you have now the fired up, the motivation to get started because it's something you love, something you're really excited about, but by starting, you're actually creating momentum that is hard to create with small goals. And that momentum means that even if you stop a quarter of the way through the year or half the way through the year, or you don't reach it, you've already created a lot of progress. So when you get to the next year and you realize I didn't accomplish this goal, but I'm one I should be one fifth of the way there, but really I'm one tenth. What can I do in year two of this five year goal to catch back up with where I should be in the process? And so it it in some ways creates another level of motivation. Even if you fail, you've You've made progress, and now the next year you're continuing on that. Get reinvigorated, double down. I just love this idea of, of creating these big goals. Once we've created these long-term goals, and, and like I said, it's is goals that are going to be five years, uh, maybe even longer. We want to break these long-term goals down into annual and then quarterly goals. So now that we have our long-term goal for each domain, We want to walk back from that timeline and determine what we need to accomplish along the way. This breaks down those bigger goals into smaller goals that are achievable in either a year's time or a quarter's time. Outside of those big goals, you can have two or three smaller goals in each domain, but that should be it, it shouldn't be any more. And in many cases, and this is my case, Is I've got a lot of different goals, but almost all of those goals are attached back to either a big goal that I have or directly back to my vision or values. And so all of these smaller goals are just milestones along the way. They're they're stakes you're putting in the ground to say, if I achieve this big goal, these smaller things are going to happen as well. You can then also break your goals into two different types of goals. And this is, I got this from Michael Hyatt, and he talks about this a lot in goal setting. He talks about achievement goals and habit goals. Achievement goals have ending dates. There's something that you want to get done by a specific date, and habit goals are ongoing. So you would set an achievement goal, and then you would focus on an achievement goal for a specific quarter. But the habit goal would be something that you would focus on for the full year. And this also means tracking that habit goal. It's hard to focus on more than one habit goal at a time, especially if they're in the same domain. So I'd encourage you to limit habit goals to one per domain and and three to four max. And I personally uh, really try and limit myself to One kind of stretch habit goal. I have smaller habit goals, like we have a habit goal to do our financial meetings on a weekly basis. Now, that's absolutely a habit goal, but it's not one that requires a lot of effort, daily effort on my part. So I do have that on top of other habit goals that I have. So you want to be cognizant of how difficult each of the habit goals are going to be, and you don't want to set a lot of difficult habit goals. That require day in day out commitment when you have life altering type habit goals you want to really have one max that you're focusing on so for me this is in 2022 related to some different health goals of i'm just focusing on one specific habit that i want to follow through on if you take those numbers and you say three to four max in each domain There's four quarters in a year. So that means that as you plan your year, you have basically one goal per domain per quarter. So that means you've got 12 to 16 goals per year is what I would say is probably the max that you can have. And that is including habit and achievement goals. That's a huge number. And that's probably more than most people say is doable but i think it absolutely is and part of that is is because you're setting a big goal and then some of those goals are working in conjunction and so when that is the case i think you can have a higher number of goals when you when you have big goals though it is okay to cut back on your other goals and so you could only say focus on one to two other achievement or one to two other habit goals and so This is going to be something, there's no concrete way to go about this. Each person's capacity and enthusiasm for this is going to be different. If you've not been setting goals, you probably want to have one big long-term goal and then maybe one to two per quarter that you focus on because if you do more than that, you're probably not going to follow through. But as you are able to leverage up your system, you can start to do more. But I'd encourage you to evaluate what feels intimidating, what feels almost not possible, but then go one step further. We want to stretch ourselves outside of our comfort zone so that in a year, in five years, we will be people that we hardly recognize because it's in that personal growth that you will truly fulfill your purpose. You don't fulfill your purpose from comfort. You fulfill your purpose. You fulfill your values from living those things out. And living those things out are going to be difficult at times. So I would encourage you to stretch yourself with your goals and really put some time into thinking what feels on the edge of comfortable and going one step further. Once you have your annual and quarterly goals. Let's talk about the form of those quarterly goals. One framework I've used and I've started using just recently, actually, uh, for my for my personal goals is called the OKR framework. This is called outcomes and key results. So the idea behind this, and this is something I think I believe it was started at Google. And it says, I will achieve this objective, so that's the outcome you're looking for, as measured by this key result. So an example of this, I will fix the website for the vast majority of people as measured by 7 out of 10 people being able to get through with a 1% error rate and a 1 second response time. So this is the objective or the outcome is to fix the website, and then you've got measurements that seven out of 10 will get one second response time and 1% error rate. In a personal setting, in a more personal way to set this is that is say I want to lose weight, and you could put a number on that and then your key result is going to be some measurable health things that go along with that. So whether that's a certain fitness level, whether that's certain habits that go along with that, you can decide what those key results are. But I really like this framework. The objective or the outcome is simply what is to be achieved, no more, no less. They're to be significant, concrete, action-oriented, and ideally inspirational. When properly designed, they help Get rid of kind of the fuzziness that you generally get when you just have a loose goal, when you have a goal that's not super clear and it helps you execute on the goal better. The key results are benchmarks or monitors on things that you're looking at or following on how to get to the objective. So, losing 30 pounds is not the result because how do you lose 30 pounds? And it's based off the actions that you're taking. So we want things that are measurable and verifiable. So you need to know that you've hit the key result. And if you've hit the key result, but you've not met your objective, then you can still know that you did what you thought was required. And so you need to reframe it, but you didn't completely fail. And that's the importance of this key result is because many times we set goals that are not obtainable and we've not identified the actions that we need to take. So when we've not identified the actions, we could then fail and feel like a failure when in reality we did the actions that we thought we needed to do to obtain that goal. So each objective or each outcome is going to have one to three key results that you're trying to measure it by. Once we've identified this framework, we should go to weekly and daily projects and actions. Once you have your quarterly goals, you should be doing weekly and daily planning. Before each week, you should identify one to three focuses for that week and then carry over two focuses for the day. In the system I use, I organize my tasks by projects. This is kind of a modified GTD or getting things done, system, which is what I mentioned in the last episode. And then each task I need to understand what my next action is. So I have my task list, but each task is assigned to a project. And then I regularly review those projects as we talked about last week to make sure with the weekly review, to make sure that I'm continuing on target. One more concept that I thought was super powerful from this chapter of the book is creating a to avoid list. Jordan called these posterities. And the question that he asked was what must you avoid at all costs to accomplish your quarterly goals. So what are the things that are most likely to distract you from achieving the goals that you want? There is another framework called the 25 five framework list, the top 25 things that you need to get done kind of the big rocks that you want to move, pick the top 5 and the remaining 20 become your don't do list. These are the things that you now avoid because you've identified they're not part of the top 5. So when you're doing them, you know that they're distracting you from that top 5. By identifying the things you need to avoid, you're creating a reminder for yourself when you fall into them. Now let's transition and briefly talk about how this framework applies to your financial goals. We did an episode a few episodes ago, I'll link it in the show notes, that were 10 goal ideas for 2022. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. Uh, It can give you some ideas, but we'll hit a little bit on it here. With your financial goals, you want to remember, what is your long-term financial plan? Do you have a retirement goal? If you have a retirement goal, that is your long-term plan. And so you want to then reflect on how do you break that down into a five-year, into a one-year mark that you want to hit. So when you're setting those financial goals, they need to be viewed in terms of your long-term plan. Once we've identified those long-term goals, we need to identify what is the reason for that goal. We need to understand our why. Because if we don't understand our why, it's going to be very, very hard to stay motivated to reach those. So if you're having a goal of retiring early, but you don't have a specific thing or reason that you're doing that, if you don't have a specific goal after you retire, it's going to be really hard to sacrifice today and keep moving forward on that goal. Next, you want to ask the question, once we've identified the reason and the why, what actions do I need to take now? So this is putting it into this framework of annual and then quarterly things that you need to do. Some of these are going to be automation uh, kind of habit type goals, right? It's going to be saving a specific amount. I have done these things for so long that that we don't actually set a goal of, say, saving 500 per person per Roth IRA because it's just what we do. But if you've not done that in the past, that's a valid and, and should be a, an important goal to continue saving for your future. So what actions do you need to take today? What actions do you need to take in the next few weeks to achieve that goal in 15 years, 20 years, five years, whatever that long-term goal is. And then the last one is what is your margin for error? Because we don't want to build a goal. We don't want to build a framework that has no margin for error because the reality is something is going to happen along the way. And so we want to be prepared when that something happens. With that, I'll wrap up for the day. I would encourage you to think through those questions as you think through your financial goals. Just to recap very quickly, first we want to identify our values and then below our values is going to be our purpose or calling. And while we didn't dig into that, it's very, very important that we understand that. And if we don't have one, that it doesn't stop us from identifying what our vision is. And our vision is something that describes your values, your strength, and your goals. And so it's what you aspirationally want to be doing in, say, 5, 10, 15 years. And then after you have your vision, you then identify one long-term goal for each life domain. So you will set your own life domains, and you want to identify a long-term goal for each one of those life domains. And then once you have your long-term goal, you want to break those down into annual and quarterly goals to figure out what you need to do along the way to achieve those. For my goals, I use the OKR framework, and we talked about that. You can go back and listen to that if you want to dig more in on that. And you can also just search on Google. There's a lot of great resources on that framework. And so I would encourage you to maybe explore that a little bit. I want to thank you so much for joining me today on this episode. If you found this helpful, I would love to hear from you what you're going to implement in your life. You can go to delveintomoney.com and you can contact me there or on social media, on Twitter, especially. Uh, It is just my first and last name, Curtis Hanny. You'll see that in the show notes. Until next week, remember healthy financial decisions are intentional financial decisions. Intentional decisions this week lead to a healthy financial future start today we'll see you next week